amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The very first announcement of Jesus' birth was made not to the religious leaders, the wealthy in society, or powerful politicians. It was made to humble the shepherds, who Luke tells us were living in open fields on the first Christmas night. The lives of the shepherds were not coveted. They spent their time with sheep and not much else. It wasn't a very exciting job, apart from the occasional life-threatening encounters with wild animals. For most in society, the lives of shepherds uh, were considered less valuable than the sheep they protected. They were the expendable price of the sheep's safety. Shepherds were common folk, often looked down upon for their lowly profession. They were held in such low regard in society that their eyewitness testimony was not even admissible in court. They were not influential and had no standing in society, nor were they religious leaders. Though some in ancient Israel devoted their lives to studying the scriptures and waited for the promised Messiah to come. Shepherds probably had little to no formal education and rarely went to worship at the temple. The shepherds in this passage of scripture are probably no different. These men who looked after flocks of sheep were lowly outcasts who had no influence in society. Yet they are the first to hear that the Savior has come, that salvation has come, and that hope has dawned for all mankind. The angel's message to these lowly shepherds is a sign of God's love. Many at the time were expecting a powerful Savior to come, breaking down doors, coming for the elite and powerful. When he came, through, when he came though, Jesus came humbly, born in a small town and laid to sleep in a manger. He came looking to reach people of all classes and statuses. Society neglected the shepherds, but God neglects no one. The shepherds were not looking for the Messiah, but news of his coming came to them from a chorus of angels, and the shepherds returned telling everyone what had happened. Despite their reputation and role, verse 18 says, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The good shepherd had come, stepping out of glory to live among his people. He humbled himself to be with them and die for them. The shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. The Christmas story is the announcement that God had come in the flesh to live among us. The king of king has descended to fulfill the temporal and eternal promises of God and to rule first in our hearts and later on his throne. We would expect a king to be born in a palace, not in a stable. We'd expect a king to be laid on a royal bed, not a bed of straw. We would expect a king to be announced to Jewish royalty and religious elite, not to magi and shepherds. But you know, God always confounds us, yet his plan is always perfect. So why magi and shepherds? 
It's hard to find two groups that are more different than they are from one another. I mean, the Magi's were advisors to the throne and the shepherds were nobodies. The Magi were esteemed, the shepherds were outcasts. The Magi were influential, the shepherds' testimony was ignored, even if given in court. The Magi were wealthy, the shepherds were paupers. And the shepherds were among the chosen people. The Magi were Persians from a nation that once oppressed Israel. The shepherds worshipped Yahweh. The Persians, the Magi, false gods. The shepherds were nearby. The Magi were far away. The shepherds tended sheep. The Magi followed stars. Each was given a revelation from God in a way in which they could understand. The Magi, the astrologers, got the message in the stars. The shepherds, unaware of what was going on around them, had to have an announcement from angels, but both of them responded. So we asked the question, why Magi and shepherds? And we heard a bit of the first answer, and that is, he came to those who were open to him. He did not come to the Jewish royalty because they were hostile to him. He did not come to the religious elite because they were so indifferent, even though they could tell Herod where the child was to be born. They knew the prophecies so well. They had been waiting for him, supposedly, but they wouldn't travel the few miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. No, they came to those who were open, even if they were in a foreign land or they were out in a dark field at night, <clears throat> for they responded. A second reason he chose those who were so different was because he was showing that he speaks to the extremes. And if he speaks to the extremes, then he speaks to everyone in between, which is you and I. The Gospel of John gives a, a similar juxtaposition of those who are so different. In the third chapter, he speaks to a man named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, highly esteemed, a Pharisee, the most religious of all Jews, honored and respected, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court and Congress of the day. He was one that people most expected to be accepted by God. In the next chapter, we have a woman, not a Jewish woman, but a Samaritan, those despised by the Jews. She was not respected. She was completely disrespected, an outcast in her own culture. She was not religious, but she was known as a sinner. 
She did not worship the right God or in the right place. And yet Jesus spoke to her as well. Two extremes. Why? Because if he is reaching the most religious, he is also reaching the deepest sinner. He's there for each one of us. To Nicodemus, he gives us the message that no matter how religious or good we seem to be or respected by others, every one of us needs Jesus. And the message to the Samaritan woman is no how destitute and far away you seem to be from God. So how entrenched in sin and how disrespected by anybody else, if, even if you were the last person one would expect to be accepted by God, you too are welcome to him. He has come for all of us, and his message is for each one of us. And what is that message? The message that was given in the gifts to the Magi. Myrrh, death, he comes as a savior. Gold is given to a king. Incense, the fragrance of God himself, God in the flesh to us. And the message of the heavenly angels, the same. He is Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. Any one of those appellations should make us fall down and worship before him, rejoice and celebrate in him, pursue him, and tell the world about him. He is the Savior for every one of us who is separated from God because we have cast him off the throne of our lives and put ourselves where he belongs. Because we have picked and chosen what parts of God's words and precepts we want to follow. When we have given him just a piece of our week and not our lives. Because we have pushed him away. This is our sin that separates us from God. We have moved away from God, but he has still pursued us to the point that he came to earth, went to a cross to be our savior, to bring us back to God. He is the Christ, the king, the good and loving, benevolent king who wants the best for each one of us, who brings us what we need in life to thrive. He should be adored and worshipped, and he is God come to us. God, who has humbled himself, become like us so that he is felt every pain, every sorrow, every temptation, every trial that we would have ever felt. And because he felt all of that, his love just pours out to us. And he stepped down and put aside his glory to live among us, to become like us. 
and to give his life for us. Why the Magi and the shepherds? Because they represent each one of us here this evening. And because, like them, we are offered a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this glorious message you have given us. May we take it to heart this evening, tomorrow on Christmas Day, and each day.